0: So we're looking at the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians. At the time of Paul's writing, it was a dysfunctional church, which isn't surprising given that most of the members of this church had recently converted from paganism. There was a great deal of confusion, immorality, particularly and sexual immorality. There was division and misunderstanding. The Christians in Corinth were simply not living out what they said they believed. And in this letter, Paul identifies a series of problems and then he addresses each one in turn. Chapters 1 to 4 deal with the problem of divisions in the church and that's the backdrop for today's reading. The Corinthians were divided over who was the most important leader. In chapter 1 verse 12, Paul writes this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. So the Christians at Corinth, were dividing themselves into these factions, depending on which leader they favoured. And Paul addressed this in chapter three with three metaphors. The first is to do with infancy, verses one to three. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Paul is saying you should have matured in your faith by now. You should have progressed to solid food, but you're still on milk. And and, and the implication is that the divisions in the church have stunted their growth. The next metaphor Paul uses is taken from farming. In verses 1 to 8, Paul writes, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servant through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. In other words, stop making a big deal out of these leaders. God is the one you need to look to. God is the one who will bring the increase. God is the one who will grow the church. And in verse 9, Paul quickly changes the metaphor from farming to construction. He writes, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So the final metaphor, the one that we're looking at today, it's got to do with the construction of a building. Metaphorically speaking, Paul is concerned with three things. What are we building on? What are we building with? And will our building merit a reward? Firstly, what are we building on? Paul writes, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Some of the believers in Corinth were carrying on as if Paul himself or Peter or Paulus was the foundation stone of their church life. And Paul is saying, no, I laid the foundation by preaching the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation, but now it's for others to continue the building. Uh, Paul still loves this church. He's deeply concerned for it and committed to it, but he's moved to the side so that others can continue the work. And he wants us to imagine a building site with lots of workers getting on with the job of constructing this building. Foremen, laborers, stonemasons, carpenters, metal workers, and so on. Everyone's got a job to do. Paul is saying it doesn't really matter who's doing the building right now. The important thing is the foundation. If you're not building on the right foundation, It's going to be a disaster. I'm sure you know why the Leaning Tower of Pisa leans. Uh, You you can probably guess. The foundation was poor. The soil beneath it was actually quite soft. It's an eight-story building, but it was leaning by the time they started work on the third story. Not surprisingly, no one knows for sure who the architect was. Whoever it was was probably wanting to distance themselves from the folly of building on such a poor foundation. It's a living parable, isn't it? Jesus spoke about the wise and the foolish builders, one who built his house on the rock and the other who built his house on the sand. And if we make individual human beings the foundation of church life and ministry, we're building on the sand. And that's why the tendency towards celebrity pastors is worrying, or ministries that are named after people. If I announced that I was preparing to launch Charlie Lacey International Fire Ministries, that would be a very worrying development i'm not by the way but we need to be careful not to elevate our leaders if the leader is the foundation and that leader dies moves on or god forbid falls into serious sin the church will just implode paul is saying the foundation is jesus and god will call different people at different times to build on that foundation don't make too much of those people So that's us as a church, but we also need to think about the foundation of our lives. What gives stability, shape and purpose to our lives? Some people don't feel like they have a foundation to their life at all. They lack any real sense of identity. They feel unsettled. They're searching for something, but they don't know what. So perhaps they're looking in all the wrong places. In Ephesians 4, it talks about people who are like infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. You may have experienced that before you came to faith. Others hone in on one particular aspect of life and make that their foundation. A person's relationship to a parent or a spouse or a child can be the thing that holds them in place and provides meaning and purpose. For another, it might be their career combined with a strong work ethic. For another, their moral rectitude. I'm a good person. I'm of good character. This is who I am. This is my foundation. But you're not built to bear the weight of your life. Only Jesus can do that. If you ask the average person, what is the foundation of your life? I think a lot of people would struggle to answer that. In our culture, I expect you'd hear to be happy or to be a good person or to make a difference. But those are aims, not foundations. If you ask a Christian, what is the foundation of your life? They can give you a one word answer. Jesus doesn't mean that other things aren't important it simply means that we have something of supreme importance a foundation upon which to build our lives and that's the same with our church life there are lots of things that are important but Jesus is foundational to everything and I should at this point say something about what we're building on this foundation in verse 16 we read this don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst?" So, we're building God's temple. We're building the church, a temple made up of living stones, you and me and every other Christian. And the church is a visible sign of God's kingdom on earth. So, we're building God's kingdom. The commentary that we're using for the Lent course says, We are building into the lives of people through our ministries of love and encouragement, teaching or helping. This is the building project that we're engaged in. But the key question, I think, in this passage is what are we building? with? What materials are we using? Paul gives us two alternatives. He says we're either building with gold, silver and costly stones or we're building with wood, hay and straw. Obviously this isn't meant to be taken too literally. People don't build entire buildings out of gold or straw unless they're one of the three little pigs. But what's important here is that the first group of materials, gold, silver and costly stones, are high in value and low in flammability they don't tend to catch fire. The second group are low in value and high in flammability. In other words, there's a fire coming and that fire will test what sort of work we've done. As it says in verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is. The materials represent our motives and I think to a lesser extent our methods, but if our motives are right, if we just want to serve Jesus, right methods will follow we'll want to be inspired, empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's the key to a truly effective kingdom building life. Are we motivated by a desire to live in faithful obedience to Jesus? Or are we motivated by something else? And that's a very hard thing to ascertain because we don't always understand our own motives. We can't always tell what materials have been used just by looking at the building. Oftentimes the building can look great, but the work is actually quite shoddy. I read about a couple in London who had some major building work done on their basement and they were really happy with the outcome until the roof of the basement gave way and their house literally split in two. I don't think the builders actually used straw, but you get the idea. The family had to evacuate their wreck of a house in their pyjamas. So we don't necessarily know what materials other people are using. And more to the point, we can't always be sure what materials we're using. And it's the quality of our own materials we should scrutinize, not other people's, our own motives. For example, we might visit the sick, but do we do it out of love or out of a sense of duty? Or because it makes us feel good about ourselves? Or maybe even because we want to remain in that person's will? Just because we're doing a good thing, it doesn't mean that we're doing it for the right reasons. And often we'll have mixed motives. When someone preaches... Are they preaching because they long to see people growing in their faith or because they're seeking praise and plaudits and a good reputation or because it's their job and they've just got to get on with it? Have you ever had a robust debate with someone about faith? These kind of conversations often happen with family members or close friends, people we've known for a long time. Were you proclaiming Jesus because you wanted that person to know Jesus or because you were trying to win an argument? or to give an example that relates to the particular problem that Paul was addressing, is our ministry and activity in the church being done to glorify Jesus, or to elevate a particular human leader. That might not be an issue for us, but it was happening in Corinth, and that is what Paul is trying to address. So some of our works will be humble, faith-filled, loving, done out of obedience to Jesus, done because we want to see sinners saved, lives changed, and Jesus glorified. And some of our works will be Egoistic, self-serving, half-hearted, unbelieving, lukewarm and joyless. So It's so important that we examine our motives. Just because we're doing the right thing doesn't mean that we're doing it for the right reasons. What materials are we building with? And the answer to that will determine the answer to Paul's final concern, namely, will our building merit a reward? Verse 13 says, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. The day that Paul mentions is the, the day when Jesus returns, the end of time as we know it. And on that day, each person's work will be tested with fire. This is not a test of who is saved or lost. It's not a test to see who belongs to the kingdom is those who already belong to the kingdom on account of trusting Jesus, those uh, whose work will be tested. If we know and love Jesus, then we are building on that firm foundation. We are on the building site, and everyone who is on site will be saved. What's being tested is the quality of each person's work. And the result of that test will determine the reward that each person receives. Now, this might sound surprising, this idea that there's a, a reward beyond our eternal salvation but it's unmistakable listen the fire will test the quality of each person's work if what has been built survives the builder will receive a reward if it is burned up the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames i wonder does it surprise you to learn that we'll receive an eternal reward for the work done in this life That survives this test will be rewarded for anything that doesn't get burned up by the fire. Again, I'm not talking about our salvation. Salvation is not a reward. It's a gift. I'm talking about something quite different. So what is the reward? And what does Paul mean when he says, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss? What kind of loss? Will we be lacking some, some, some good thing in heaven? Can we be saved and yet somehow be incomplete? No. Ephesians 3.19 talks about being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If you know and love Jesus, you will be filled. You will be satisfied. Your joy will be complete. But perhaps the reward will be that some people have a greater capacity. So we'll all be filled. None of us will lack anything. But it could be that some people will take a bit more filling than others. Some people will be larger vessels uh, that can be filled with even more of God's love and grace and goodness. And you know what? We'll be genuinely happy for those people. We'll want to honour them. Of course, we're not going to feel jealous or resentful because by that point, we will have been made perfect. Seeing that someone has been rewarded will increase our joy. And those those whose work is of the highest quality are not necessarily going to be high-profile Christians or those who are seen to be doing lots of kingdom-building work. Because anyone who is faithfully serving Jesus in their own way, with a heart bursting with love, is building with gold silver and costly stones their work will not be burnt up and you might say well i can't make much of a contribution what can i build but the criterion is not volume but quality the picture is not of one person trying to build something on their own the question is what is the quality of that which you contribute if you belong to jesus then you are involved in this building project The things that we say and do, the way we interact with people, the love we express, the prayers we pray, the way we prioritize our time and our money and our energy, it's all linked to the quality of our work. Who wants to be a cowboy builder? You build something, don't you want to know that it will last I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and to evoke the imagery, to, to, to be in this house of my own making and it catches fire. So I leap out the window and watch the whole thing burn to the ground and all that's left is me. I'm okay, but everything I've built is reduced to ash. I don't want to discover that almost everything I've done has been a selfish waste of time. Forget about the reward. I just don't want that. And I think that's what Paul is warning us about. We can be saved, but our work for the Lord can be useless. And so there are two things that we need to balance here. Firstly, we need to take the promise of eternal life seriously. When we put our faith in Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And secondly, we need to understand that our work will be tested and will be rewarded according to the quality of that work. So we rejoice at our salvation, but we also recognize the importance or building with gold, silver, and costly stones.